Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am Meredith Bond, and I am here as always with my ignorant host, as she likes to say. <laughs> Correct. I am the ignorant co-host. I'm Prue Warren. <laughs> Except you are the most intelligent, ignorant person I have ever met, I have to say. <laughs> Oh, my God. I think that's very funny. I'm the <laughs> ignorant co-host. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So today, Prue, today we are talking about world building. And <sighs> world building is fascinating. I have toyed with it because I also write fantasy. Um, I have read it because I read fantasy and I have read sci-fi. But... The main point about world building is that you don't have to write either of those subgenres in order to need to know how to do it. Amen. Amen. And I think that that is a fascinating point. A fascinating point. There was a woman who came to speak to the Washington Romance Writers. Her name was Ava Cuvay to talk to us about world building. And she had a lot of, she had a lot of really good advice. But the thing that she said that stuck in my brain, <laughs> she said that she, in her, before she was book, a speaker about books, I don't remember her, her bona fides, she was a wine merchant. She dealt in wine. Mm. And she used a, a word for world, world building that she got from the wine industry, which is terroir, T-E-R-R. Terroir, I O I R, terroir, which sounds like the English word terror, mm -hmm. but is in fact based on the French word terre for earth. Mm -hmm. She said that the terroir of a wine is it's the flavor of the world around the wine that influences its taste. Mm -hmm. How how sunny were, was was the slope? What kind of grapes? What was the soil like? Uh, was it a rainy season? All these things influence the flavor of the wine. So it's the terroir that creates character and style. So if you have a poor terroir in your novel because you're writing contemporary and figure you don't need any of that, everybody knows, then your work is flat and featureless. Terroir and world building is not just for people who are populating imaginary planets it's for every single thing you write. I thought that was a great word and a fascinating concept. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. I mean, you write contemporary, but with every book you write, you have to put us, the reader, into your world. And your world could be Washington, D.C. It could be the, uh, where was uh, the second book? <laughs> Wyoming. Ranch. Right, right, right. Right. Um, the one I was just finishing was um, Western Tennessee in Summertime. 
Wow. So I have to, I have to show you that it's sweaty hot without saying it was sweaty hot. I have right. to, I have to give you the flavor of the wine without telling you all the facts about the wine. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So I think that's, I think that's really potent and would help any author to understand that if you read a book that seems flat, check the terroir to see if they've done good world building. And if your book seems flat, what have you done to paint a picture without sharing facts? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you really have to tap into the emotional response. What is it that elicits that emotional response? Hmm. Okay, so that's interesting. I was thinking about when I was writing about Western Tennessee in summer. I didn't want to say, she had wet armpits because it was so sweaty. I mean, that's just not what I wanted to say. But I would say things like the, the, the hum of the cicadas or crickets or whatever it was, was almost maddening. It just never ended. They were just perpetually singing and it drove her up the wall. So and that creates an emotional response. Emotional response. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I have a good friend named Mike uh, who has written, he's got the beginning of a book going and he's got a good plot and he's got a good grasp of the language. It's a, it's a medical mystery. And I think, I think he's got places he can go with it. Uh, but he begins with a description of a surgery that the surgeon is, is undertaking. And he himself has performed the surgery a million times. So he's got a lot of knowledge. He's got good knowledge. But his terroir, his world building is lacking because what he's done is described the surgery in intimate detail. And for me, it was far too intimate. I don't want to know about, you know, <laughs> arteries and right, cutting into things. But there are, there's a place for it, right? There are, there are medical suspense that people do like that stuff. But what he did was tell me that uh, the wine was grown in an average temperature of 82 degrees. The soil alkalinity was 15%. There were 17 rainy days. He's given me all the facts and none of the flavors. So I think what I'm going to say to him, you know, I, like I'm, I'm the ignorant one, but even I can say, here's what you need. You need a little better world building. You need to create your atmosphere. You need to tell me the flavor of the wine, not the facts of the wine. Right. Absolutely. You need to... Not only put the reader there by describing what it looks like and what's happening, but you need to do so through the eyes of the protagonist, right? And how they feel about it and how they view it. So a surgeon may be looking at all of the technical aspects of this surgery, but if it's the 500th time that he's done it, been there, done that, this has got to be boring, right? So what is it that makes this surgery interesting? What is it that the guy is thinking about? Is he is he joking around with the nurses? Is he, you know, telling about his golf game from last Sunday with the <laughs> with the anesthesiologist, you know? <laughs> Make it human. Yeah, exactly. Make it human. And how does that that surrounding that setting impact the story and how does it impact the character and how does the character impact the setting 
right? There's also there's also something about world building where you have added more detail than you need. Oh, absolutely. Where you do absolutely. sort of an in, where you describe the currency of the planet you're on or the government or something that is absolutely fact-based. There's nothing there's nothing inaccurate about it. It's just you're drowning your reader in details that are not necessary to give the flavor of the story. Right. So as a good example of that, I was reading um, Jane Friedman's blog today, which was on characters, on building characters and making interesting characters. Um, She gave the author, it wasn't actually Friedman, she has guest authors. The author gave two examples. One was the description, the man in the airport had brown hair and blue eyes and wore a black suit and shiny shoes. He walked briskly toward the shuttle to the international terminal. Okay. That's the way not to do it. (laughs) The way she said to do it, the man in the airport seemed to be watching me. We don't need to know what he looked like. We need to know that he was watching me, which is Mm -hmm. so much more interesting. Oh, yeah, it really is. The second example was at the party, Sue stood against the green wall watching. There was a landscape painting across from her. She watched people choose beers from the blue ice chest and food from the spread on the linen-covered table. Are you excited? No, no. It's very accurate. It's just not very readable. Exactly. So the way she suggested it was, at the party, soon found a niche away from the crowd, too shy to talk to anyone. These were not her people. But knowing them could mean a big break in her career. Better. That's a better story. Yeah, it's a better story. But I would also say that in the first case, the she stood against the green wall. She watched people pull things out of the blue cooler. You lose the reader's trust unless it turns out that she has some peculiar mental ability that has to do with chromatics. I mean, is there a reason you've told me there's a green wall? Is there a reason you've told me the cooler is blue, that the tablecloth is linen covered? If there, if there doesn't pan out to be a reason pretty quickly, you have lost my trust. Mm. Because otherwise, you're just throwing red herrings at me. You're just making me believe something is important, and then you're forgetting about it. You're abandoning it. You're you did it because you were writing poorly and I was trusting you to be a good writer. <laughs> so poor, poor world building will lose readers trust. On the other hand, if we include, if the writer includes the green wall and the blue ice chest and the linen colored table, maybe Sue is an artist. Exactly. exactly. Art and colors have meaning, deep meaning for her or stand out for her. And she not only notices that it's a green wall, but she notices that it's a particular mint green. That exactly. You either, you either go for it or you leave it alone. You either tell me the green of the wall was like being in a woodland cathedral. Right. Or shut up about it. Yeah. (laughs) Build your world carefully. Pick your details, give the flavor not the facts. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to share with you on this topic was a worksheet that I put together when I used to teach writing, Ah. which is just, it's a setting worksheet. And it's something to get you thinking about your setting as you are starting out 
your story and thinking about creating your story. So for pantsers, it would be something that they don't need to necessarily fill out, but just think about. And for plotters, you might actually want to fill it out and think deeply about this. So the first question is, how well does the protagonist know this setting? Uh Uh How well does the antagonist know it? Well, are you assuming, as you fill this out and think about it, are you assuming the protagonist is the point of view character? Yes. And that the antagonist is actually a a person rather than the protagonist themselves or, you know. Okay. Or the setting itself. The setting itself could be a protagonist, an antagonist, but we're assuming a human antagonist. Okay. All right. And what does the protagonist love about it? Okay. And what do they hate about it? And how does it make them feel? All right. I'm thinking about this next book that I'm working on. I'm sorry. You froze on me and I talked over you. Keep going. Keep going. No, no. no. You go ahead. You're thinking about your next book. Right. This next book that I'm working on, um, where the woman walks into uh, a house she's just inherited and she has never been there before. Mm -hmm. So she sees it for the first time. I was, this is funny. I was thinking about this last night, (laughs) lying in bed, trying to go to sleep, thinking about it. And I realized that if I, if I just described what she was seeing, it would be a horrible info dump and it would go on for paragraphs of there was a living room, there was a dining room. I mean, it just, it was just mind numbing. So I realized she had to have someone else with her that she could have a dialogue with. So her younger brother will be with her and they will have a conversation that will not only describe the world they're seeing, but will inform the characters, right? Because yeah. People react differently. So the younger brother's like, man, this would make a great game room. You know, it's huge and dark. I could set up my PlayStation here and it would be awesome. But the but the or the older sister, who is a lawyer, sees it very differently. So I can do two things with my world building. I can describe what they're seeing while also illuminating their characters. Absolutely. That is so important. And also, you can illuminate their relationship, saying, hey, do you remember that sofa that we had in the living room? Isn't this sofa in this living room just like that? And he would be like, "Uh, yeah, that's the sofa that I did this with Mary Sue on. And she (laughs) (laughs) No brother would say that to his sister, Meredith, God. (laughs) Okay, but then he can start to say, oh, yeah, that's the sofa. Right. Yes, that is indeed like the sofa. Sure, sure. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I did my homework on it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But you can use their their individual reactions to this setting to show their relationship. I interrupted you on your worksheet. What came after he like or she like or dislike about it? Right. Um, How it makes them feel, what they know about this place that nobody else does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what is their favorite place within the setting and why? And what makes this place different from the reader's ordinary world? Oh, there, there. That question sort of defines world building, doesn't it? Because even in my contemporary rom-coms, I can establish a difference that makes my, this is, this is this is a this is a marketing thing. This is not creativity. This is marketing. I can create a world 
that allows the reader to escape their ordinary world and go someplace different. And, and it doesn't have to be paradise. We don't have to be lying on a beach in Tahiti for it to feel like an escape. But I believe that, I believe, I don't, I don't think it, that, that qualifier is needed. People read rom-coms as a relief from their ordinary life. They, they trust that they will be able to escape their ordinary life, that they will have a moment of crisis between the lovers, and that there will be a happily ever after. That's why people pick up romances. So mm -hmm. escapist fiction is my goal. So if I do my world building right, I can help these readers escape their ordinary life, which is the goal. And then they will come back and buy more of my books. So <laughs> it is about creativity. It is about writing skill, but it's also about are you a writer or are you an author? Are you selling books? Are you writing to sell books? Or are you writing because you want to tell yourself stories? And both answers are perfectly acceptable. Nothing wrong with either answer. But for me, I'm interested in growing a, a crop of readers who trust that my world building helps them escape. So that's you particularly, your last question on that, on that worksheet is particularly juicy to me. Uh huh. Yeah. How have I helped you escape? I love that. Yep. It is so important. And it can be just an escape to a random small town, or right. it could be an escape to Regency England, or it can be escape, an escape to another planet. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But you know, when I decided to do this this next series, Meredith, I was very um, I was very mercenary about it because I decided that in this time when so many people are worried about how they're going to pay for right, is there is there even is there money for luxuries? People are worried about money, and I was thinking that that paralleled the Great Depression, right? And that's when Busby Berkeley musicals became really famous and popular because they were so escapist. I mean, there were 400 women in peacock feathers doing a dance on a revolving pyramid. It was so alien and counter to, to the daily life. I thought, what, what can I do that will help people feel that sense of escape? And that's why these are the surprise millionaires. These are women who have inherited something surprising. They didn't, they, they didn't expect it. And all of a sudden, they're plopped into an absolutely alien world on earth. The one I'm writing about now is Beverly Hills. She inherits a mansion in a decayed and crumbling mansion in Beverly Hills. That's a different world. I believe that there are readers in Beverly Hills, but there are a lot more readers who are not in Beverly Hills. <laughs> so that's my goal is to provide those people with that sense of escape, that sense of uh, I am now someplace completely different from my life. And I trust that this will end happily. So world building is particularly potent in these cases. And I'm grateful that I've been to Beverly Hills. I have not been in a Beverly Hills house, but I have driven through Beverly Hills and thought you people have way too much money and you are completely <laughs> attached. And I think that's something that most readers would find attractive. I would like to waste some time envisioning the lifestyles of the rich and shameless. <laughs> And accomplished through world building. And it's fun. That sounds like loads of fun because not only are you taking your readers into this strange and alien world, you're taking your protagonist to a strange and alien world. Yeah. 
am. She's experiencing it too. Yes, I am. And yes. so the reader can really identify with that protagonist saying, when the protagonist says, wow, this is really outlandish, the reader can say, wow, that's really outlandish. <laughs> well, my favorite thing, I'm, I'll tell you, you know, this has nothing to do with world building, but I've decided that the next door neighbor is an aging star who, who had a brief variety show in the 70s where, where everybody had variety shows. Mm-hmm. And he has started raising exotic birds. So he has an ostrich named Carol Burnett. They're all, all his people are named, all those birds are named for variety stars. He's got <laughs> guinea fowl that are sunny and share. And <laughs> like the ostrich is going to wander onto my heroine's property and, and like, Carol Burnett, no, come back, come back. So <laughs> I just think it will be peculiar and strange and exotic and very funny. So I'm, I'm very pleased with it. Excellent. I the can't world, wait. The world building would be fun. And I literally spent yesterday drawing a map of the property. Where Good. are the baths? Where is the guest house? Where are the pools? All right. So it's I will never I will never describe it in intimate detail, and I won't include the maps in the book because it's useless. Uh, but I know exactly what this place looks like. Yeah, so, you need to in order to be able to say. She turned left out of her bedroom to go down to the kitchen. And the right. next time you you have her leaving her bedroom to go to the kitchen, she doesn't turn right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Although, as you know, I would never say she turned left out of the bedroom to go to the kitchen unless there was an attacker standing just to the left of the door. Right. That, that would be a red herring. That would fool someone to believing there was something important about she turned left. So world building. Paint it for yourself. But don't do an info dump. Yeah. Flavor your. Don't just give the facts. Flavor it. Don't do an info dump. Right. So, and what's also interesting is that different people see the same thing completely differently, and so it really gives a lot of different sort of information. You can give different information about the same place by seeing it through different people's eyes. Just this minute, thought of uh, of an example, and I think of I'm thinking of Tolkien, who did the most astonishing world building the world has ever seen. The Hobbit is all flavor. The Hobbit is delightful. You can read through that; it's just a delightful book. The Lord of the Rings is a little harder going, and he did a whole lot of. Let me tell you about the acidity of the soil. I was <laughs> trying to read The Hobbit to my son when he was a little boy. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings. And like the whole first book is we walked along a road. There was a tall hedge to the side. It was a sunny day. It It's mind numbing. The books themselves are very hard to read. Uh, there's there. You have to go a long way to get to, right. I'm being chased by, by the nine humans with the rings who are after me on their black horses. And then there's the Silmarillion, which is, Oh, just the facts, man. It is unreadable. You have to be a major nerd to have gotten, if you've gotten through the Silmarillion, God bless you. Because that is some serious just the facts, ma'am. There is no flavor at all in the Silmarillion. It's like trying to read the Bible. It's not, it's not written to draw you into it. It's not the Hobbit. So I see this as a really good example of world building where he built a world. He created languages for the elves and the, I mean, 
It's astonishingly detailed. But when he was writing The Hobbit, he did not feel the need to share every detail, just shared the joy and the emotion and the action, the vim. It was really good world building. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example. I like it. Me too. Me too, because I never got through the Silmarillion and I'm slightly ashamed about it to this day. (laughs) Oh, I didn't get through Lord of the Rings. I read The Hobbit and that was it. (laughs) See, there you go. I think it was an aspect of info dump and world building. I mean, absolutely. I, I know it's sacrilegious to say anything about the Lord of the Rings, but a little, a little judicious editing, the books would have been shorter and better. The Hobbit is blissful to read. Lord of the Rings is challenging. The Silmarillion is unreadable. Yeah. So I'm sure that our one listener, if she's a nerd, (laughs) will have strong reactions to that statement. And I invite her to comment. (laughs) (laughs) But it is also interesting to think about how much work you are willing to put into creating this world as you're writing or when you're right or before you begin writing if you're a plotter how much i mean you said that you were creating a map of this place which is incredible which is wonderful and i i think it's so much fun oh and you're holding, holding it up, up for me lovely there it oh. is that's the main level here's the basement and here's the upstairs. Okay. I mean, I've got, I've got lots of pieces of paper. here. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, because my goal is to entertain myself. Right. And I want the escape of living in Beverly Hills. So I needed to envision what it was, what, what, what she was inheriting. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Yeah. But I don't plan out my settings before I start writing. Because all of my books are set in Regency London, except for my current one, which is on the road. But I just, I start, I, I write my book and then I go back and I put in the settings, the description. No, you don't. Is that true? I do. I know that your process, you write the whole book and then add the settings in? Yes, because I just don't, I, I mean, I've gotten a little bit better over the past few years, but I don't think of it. I just don't. Oh, for I, I, so how do you get your terroir in there? How do you get your flavor? Yeah. And so I need when I go back to add my setting, I I think about my characters and what they would see and what they would notice and and what they would think about this place. And so then I, I build it in. But I I mean, some at, at best, I will get to. Although my character will walk into a room and I'll think, oh, shit, what does this place look like? <laughs> Do you really? I love that. <laughs> I can't not think about it. Uh, I, you've been to England. You've toured those Regency Manor homes. Absolutely. You don't think to yourself, oh, it's the blue salon with the sun slanting in from the afternoon. <laughs> He's just getting up after a wild night of debauchery. <laughs> There's an empty decanter lying by the fireplace. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, and in this book that I've been writing, it's one in after another and damn it, ins are generally the same. <laughs> so, I have to think about that and and do perhaps a little bit more research into 
different inns in different places through England. Wow. Wow. Well, at some point, is it is it the two is it the two love two would be lovers traveling together? Yeah. So sooner or later they have to sleep in a barn because the <laughs> wheels come off the carriage and there's no place nearby. The staging house is is not nearby. Oh, I do beg your pardon. This is a clean romance. There is a chaperone. <laughs> oh, there is a chaperone. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna write the dirty version. <laughs> She's going to end up with hay in her hair. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I think that's really that. I think that is a remarkable confession to make, Meredith, especially in a discussion of world building, that you pack your your settings in later. That's that's surprising to me because it seems to me that your best goal of world building is to know where you are and slide in those details organically so that you add the illumination without without doing an info dump. Right. And I don't do an info dump. I never do info dumps. But as I am rereading the book after I've written it, then I will go in and put in those little details and and you know, add a word or two here and there or a sentence to what I've already written to add in that description. That's fascinating. You fascinate me. So once again, what we learn is that there are many different ways to create your novel. Don't feel that you have to do one way or another. Do what works for you. Find what works for you. Yeah. That's my, that's, that's my takeaway. All right, Meredith, next week. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Tips and tricks for writing a series. And you're going to share what you have learned. Okay, I will. I will, because I've learned some remarkably practical things. (laughs) And I have tips and tricks to share. And I, God knows you do. Your last set was nine books long, wasn't it? It ended ended up being, uh, it's 11 books and I'm going to have a 12th because I also wrote two Christmas novellas in the same series. And I have one more that I need to write. So I'll give you my my few tips and tricks, having written one series, and you will be the master. So as usual, I will be your ignorant co-host. No, but you're not this time because you have written a series and you're writing your next one. And so that's true. That's true. That's true. Yes, there will be much to discuss. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you then. Terrific. Bye, Mary. Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Bye.